Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. This week, we're continuing our Jesus Loves You, aka Bread of Life, series. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm Liz, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm John, and my pronouns are he, him, his. Today, we continue our Jesus Loves You series with our Eat Me, Jesus episode. In this episode, we'll discuss the 12th Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Lectionary 20 or Proper 15, which this year falls on August 15th. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. Today, for our deep dive, we have special guests Liz and John. Liz Williams-Webb is a body theologian and founder of the Joyful Body Project with a JD, MDiv, and a certificate in sexuality and religion. John Webb is a retired chef and a creative constantly exploring new projects. They are married and live in Frederick, Maryland with their dog, Rudy, who is a very special pit bull. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Emily. It's great to be here. Yes, thank you. So, Liz, you run the Joyful Body Project. Can you tell us some about it? Absolutely. So, the Joyful Body Project is a theological project that I started, and it's become a ministry and hopefully a growing ministry. So, it's a theological project because the theology of bodies in our modern Christianity and modern society is mostly not positive and not affirming. Um, One main goal of the Joyful Body Project is to break down the negative and harmful theologies related to bodies and to help Christian ministers and other leaders create positive and affirming theologies that still draw on scripture and tradition, but also lift up the diversity that God's created in all of our different bodies. It's important because if we neglect or ignore theologies related to bodies, then theologies that are could be explicit or implicit that support white supremacy, patriarchy, ableism, anti-fat bias, homophobia, and transphobia are going to dominate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tricky because we might say that we don't support those theologies or that we don't like the theologies that we see that support like that list of injustices and others. But they have so much power in our culture, even among non-Christians, that unless we're actively working against them and offering something different that can be just as powerful, then we are part of the problem too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was getting ready to go to Slovakia for a year, someone told me, we were talking about like me going to a place with more conservative theology than my own. And the general rule that they stated was don't ever take away somebody's theology unless you have something better to give them. And that has stuck with me. And that, yeah. that feels like that. Yeah, that's really good advice. I heard something similar in seminary. We talked about how I went to seminary in the Midwest and I'm from Iowa. So <laughs> the, example given was hey when you have a silo on a farm you don't tear down the silo or tear down the old barn until you have a new one constructed Mm -hmm. so that was the imagery that was used for us 
So I'll just also say that, you know, just building a, a different theology uh, is great, but if all you do is just think about it and talk about it among people who want to think about it, it doesn't help very much. So that's where the ministry part of the Joyful Body Project comes in. So it, it's my contribution to helping to build a body of Christ that is actually resourced to work for justice and liberation in the world. Mm. So to have better theology and liberative theology that actually is going to be used like on the ground and as a grounding for work in the community. Um, and we do all of that work as bodied selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds really cool. John, you are a now-retired chef, and we are in the midst of our Jesus Loves You series, with today's episode being called, Eat Me, Jesus. (laughs) We had a lot of fun coming up with titles for this. and It's the dash that really brings the whole title together, in my opinion. It really does. Ties the whole room together. I agree. I agree. So I love good food, and this series has been making me very hungry. So what do you like about being a chef and feeding people? Uh, That's a great question. It's definitely what brought me into the business and the professional side of the cooking. My love language is acts of service. Mm. uh, And I've always been, that's just my, my, my go-to is if there's an issue, feed it and then you'll figure it out later because nothing's going to happen on an empty stomach. But it's also Excellent. it's also sort of a family tradition. Uh, great Italian great grandmother, French uh, grandmother. Um, it's just kind of how love and care was shown in the home. So I think I picked up on that. It's not your fault. It's just genetic. It kind of is. <laughs> My mom is convinced that I am the same person as her grandmother. Apparently, Granny Elise, who was a very good um, Catholic wife, mother, daughter, family member, would get up on Sundays and do the 6 a.m. church so that she could come home and cook while the rest of the family went to the middle mass. This This was back in the days when Catholic churches could do three shows a Sunday. And uh, she would cook and people would go to the 10 o'clock mass and they would come back and they would eat and and Granny Elise would maybe sit down twice, (laughs) maybe twice. But my mother figured out that the trick is, is whenever she roasted a bird, she would cut it in the kitchen and send out prep stuff and pick the bones herself in the kitchen, (laughs) which is which is a habit my mom picked up and then I picked up. Excellent. Uh, yes. Yes. It's I, can, all... I can confirm that because uh, even though he's retired as a professional chef, that's actually works to my benefit uh, living with him because it means he does a lot more cooking at home than he would if he was cooking at a restaurant or catering or whatnot. Sure. So I get served all these really wonderful dishes after he's worked very hard in the kitchen but then he usually at that point wants nothing to do with the food that he's just cooked because he's been picking on it all along and is then hot and wants to step away. Hot, tired, and grumpy. Yeah. (laughs) So I sit down to a beautiful meal most of the time, yeah, by myself. (laughs) Well, you get the dog. Rudy will sit with you and stare at you lovingly. 
wait for maybe a piece of bread to fall off the plate or something. Yeah. Yeah. In my family, the rule is always that it's the cook's job to eat any of the mistakes or at least dispose of them. Uh, yes. But also you do have to keep taste testing while you go. So you're probably not that hungry once the meal actually starts. It's part of it. But honestly, it's uh, what I'll, I don't know if Liz knows this. The real reason it happens is I pour so much concentration and energy into making it and having it all come out the way I want it to at the same time is so draining that usually at the end of that, I need to go take a nap. <laughs> and I, 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 I don't know if pastors understand that. I mean, I've heard stories of Sunday afternoon <laughs> naps and missed yep. Mondays. Yeah, I was going to so, say. So uh, I think... That's like pastors in worship. Exactly, exactly. We're, yeah. we're compadres in that. There's no doubt. Yeah, that's fantastic. The other day, uh, my husband commented... I don't like it when I'm hungry and Jesus tastes good. Mm. Like if I skipped breakfast and the body of Christ given for you, and it's supposed to be a solemn moment, but mmm is my first reaction. <laughs> and I would love to know how you both respond to that. If it helps at all, he was raised LCMS. So that might explain I'm, a few things. I'm going to show my... my Lutheran he, Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you very much, because <laughs> I thought it was an offshoot of LDS. Oh, goodness, no. Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is a yes, conservative yes. branch of Lutheranism that mm. is very Germanic and stern. Uh, and, and doesn't so, allow, so. like, they don't ordain women and yeah. lots of other stuff like that. Sure, sure, but. sure. I'm, I'm tangentially familiar. I, I got my, I got, I audited a lot of seminary classes. <laughs> I feel like a lot of seminary spouses too. <laughs> we have our yeah. own club, man. Y'all don't even know about it. We have a Facebook group and everything. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Not really. So, no, but I should though. start one, yeah. <laughs> right? Anybody like out there who's listening and is, is a spouse and interested <laughs> in joining, please reach out to the show and they will get your information to me and we will Facebook group. <laughs> but anyway, I was wondering, do you guys have a response to the idea of should Jesus taste good? If Jesus doesn't taste good, then the, the, the giver of the body is not fully caring for those being fed. That's my opinion. So yes, yes, Jesus should be tasty. <laughs> <laughs> I have to agree. Although I don't know, I guess the only way I would question that response <laughs> <laughs> is if the host being offered is those like Catholic wafers that are all dry and stick are to never the top yummy. Of your mouth. Because the, the wafers that it's easier to believe that they're Jesus than that they're bread. <laughs> mm -hmm. Those. <laughs> so, Those. I mean, if he's saying mm, to that, then I feel like there's something wrong with his no. taste buds. But... No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, 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 I do kind of understand where he's coming from because, like, my one rule is that Jesus, whatever Jesus tastes like, shouldn't be distracting. Like, mm. it shouldn't take you out of what's happening, mm -hmm. you know? Like, if Jesus, for whatever reason, has a, a really strong cinnamon flavor that week, that's probably not conducive to you exp uh, having the full experience of communion. Mm. Um, or, like, if, uh, when Jesus has extra allergic. garlic. Um, well, yes, absolutely. If Jesus has extra garlic and you're wondering whether or not the uh, clergy person is concerned about vampires, that's probably not going to let you focus so on reasons. Truth? I mean, anything that has raisins in it is just going to take me right out of the experience because <laughs> okay true confession i in my first call 
um, we used naan for mm. bread for communion, and someone new started buying it, and they knew to buy plain naan. But there's plain naan, and then there's plain naan that's still made with garlic. But it doesn't say it except in the, like, <laughs> Tiny print. <laughs> oh, please so help those two... of us who cannot read the small print. <laughs> right? <laughs> for Quick two prayer. weeks in a row, we had garlic naan for communion, and I ha- eat garlic enough that I have a high enough tolerance for garlic that, like, didn't even notice the first didn't, week. The yeah. second week, I, like, maybe was like, huh. <laughs> and somebody, and then finally somebody told me, and I was like, and somebody was like, yeah, I noticed it last week, and I just thought that, like, you know, Jesus isn't always palatable. But <laughs> she didn't like, because she didn't like garlic. Right. That is a pound <laughs> like, of truth you're speaking right there, Emily. But I, but I do think there's, and we've talked about it in different places in our podcast of, like, what does Jesus taste like? And if there's, like, a seasonal Jesus or those sorts of things, but, like, especially during the pandemic. Right? Yeah. I've had Jesus be carrots. I've had mm. Jesus be my Krispy Kreme free vaccination donut. Right. Um, Liz, you, in fact, brought me Krispy Kreme donuts for Easter. I for did. Easter communion Cute one ones year. decorated, too. Yeah. yeah. They were like springtime ones. It was adorable and it was delightful for like our first pandemic Easter. And so those were like, Jesus is tasty. But I've also had, like, Jesus's crackers and those sorts of things. And I don't know. I, like, I think that there is something beautiful about the variety of ways that we can experience Jesus. But I had never thought about, like, it shouldn't be distracting. Just yeah. Well, because my congregations are worshiping in person again, and they offer wine and grape juice. And the wine that most churches use for communion tastes a lot like children's Tylenol to me. Yes. <laughs> And I cannot experience yep. Jesus as children's style at all. And so I take the grape juice. Also, the grape juice is less uh, dehydrating when I've been talking for like mm. 45 minutes by then. So I prefer the grape juice. But like also there's they do use the wafers, some of them. I have four congregations and a couple of them use the wafers. And honestly, I can live with that because I once almost fed a congregation moldy bread and the wafers don't mold. Right. <laughs> I, I did not feed them moldy bread, but it was a close call. I found out just far enough ahead that I was able to find non-moldy bread to replace it with. Uh, but the the wafers don't mold, so like I know that they taste terrible, but at least you know they're safe. Hey, I so, do sometimes. What get is worse. in the wafers that makes them not mold? Because that makes me think of like a Twinkie that doesn't mold because it has so many chemicals in it. And now I feel like I have I, I a whole other reason not to want to eat the wafers. Like, what are these things made out of I that they wait. don't mold? I can weigh in on that if anybody's actually interested in this food science. Yes, please. Of this. Yes. So it's unleavened bread, correct? That is yes. that is that is sure. the manna. Manna is unleavened bread. So if you don't leaven bread, you get that. That's how you get that thin, wafery thing. And there's very little water in it. Water right. and steam being what, and combined with the leavening, is what gives you a nice pretty loaf of bread well if you don't leaven it it's thinner there's less water and there's less food for the mold yeah and this has been the extent of my scientific knowledge cool that works absolutely (laughs) which also makes sense because frequently right like my grandmother is catholic so i grew up with when i would visit her the wafers but there was like some conversation about like you just have to let it like melt onto your tongue that is the plan that makes sense that like you the water would help it kind of disintegrate onto your tongue. 
which like worked for my uncle who had multiple sclerosis and was paralyzed and that was like the only thing he actually ate because he had a feeding tube but it's kind of not appetizing yeah i i don't know i have i don't i'm not gonna weigh in on the appetizing part but all this talk of of communion wafers is bringing back a lot of pleasant memories i was raised catholic and honestly, that feeling of just letting it melt on your tongue, um, it, the opposite of Jesus taking you out of, of the concept and, and the emotion of the communion. Um, it was... Uh, it stays with you. It does. And um, I mean, you know, Catholic communion was a big deal. I'd watch my family go up for communion every week and just wait patiently till I got confirmation is is what probably is what you need i i can't i'm fuzzy on the terms it's been many many years but i i waited very patiently for my confirmation so that i could join the family and do that so maybe food really has always been (laughs) been my my jam yeah Uh, your jam (laughs) so i guess yeah, I never thought about how Jesus, like, the concept of Jesus shouldn't be distracting. I don't know that I actually agree with that. <laughs> Although, sure. so I guess it depends on how you frame your communion, right? Like, mm-hmm. some churches, as you framed your question, like, as a solemn moment, and there are plenty of churches that do um, specifically frame it as a solemn moment, But I had a professor in seminary who said he was not a fan of doing communion in that way. Um, And he felt like it led to a lot of people feeling like they needed to come to communion like as a worm, you know, that Mm. they were Mm. undeserving and worms that were coming to get the Jesus in order to not be worms anymore. And he really disliked that. So he really reinforced the notion of like communion should be a celebration. It should be joyful. And so if you're doing it, if it's not so solemn, if it's not just like slow, steady organ music or, you know, but if it's more of a happy, upbeat music and (laughs) people dancing in the aisle while they're waiting, I mean, that might be an more extreme example but oh i i once attended a church where the organist would play the calliope cir- circus music yeah, if you felt baby. that the congregation was getting too tired too, okay, and then they'd yes. pick up a little bit <laughs> it was great well i've i've done i've traveled to ghana i spent 21 days in ghana with a group of seminarians where we were doing sort of an immersive cultural understanding experience and we went to several church services and in ghana They dance anytime they're in the aisles, like whether they're taking their, why can't I think of the word, where you give the money. Oh, the collection. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Whether they're taking their offering up, they do that in like a big, almost like a conga line, and they dance all the way up and dance all the way back around the outsides. Um, and they do the same thing for communion. And it was a really cool thing to experience. I've often tried to incorporate more of like dancing in the aisles for people as they come up because again it gets you in your body and I feel like if Mm -hmm. we don't make communion a feel like a bodily experience then we're missing something sure 
if it's just like in our heads thinking about what we might want to atone for or ask forgiveness for or whatever, you know, there's lots of different ways and I'm not trying to say any of them are the wrong way, but just um, it's helpful to add some element, I think, to get people more in their body. And in that case, I feel like there are a lot of things that you could offer for communion that maybe then wouldn't be distracting, like perhaps raisins wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> would feel more like, hey, we're celebrating something instead of <laughs> why is there this raisin in my, although I probably still would be distracted by raisins. Well, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Cinnamon. Well, I, I yeah. suggested that uh, like, possibly hey, pancakes could be an option. Good. Pancakes sound right. Right. I have like, but not blueberry pancakes necessarily. (laughs) I did banana pancakes, but I'm doing sabbatical coverage for a a Presbyterian congregation, so they have communion just the first Sunday of the month, and I did banana pancakes. And you know, like I've done delightful. And somebody else had pancakes that morning. Nice. And was really excited about the like Mm. connection of seeing me. Yeah. And I mean, what makes us more present in the present moment than when you're taking a bite of something that's really delicious to you, right? Like I've done communion with chocolate croissants, which is one of my favorite things, Mm -hmm. or a cinnamon roll. And if you just really just like take one bite while you're in the moment and really savor it, then you're in the present moment. And I feel like that is a meditative way to be that honors what communion is about also. Yeah. Absolutely. I've always thought that a worship service should include, like 90% of worship services should include a moment for anybody's various emotional state. Like some people there are going to be sad, some people are going to be happy, some people are going to be really freaked out by something. There should be a moment in the worship service for all of those. And I think that can extend to receiving communion. We, we're all going to receive communion that Sunday a little differently, and that's fine. But what for I sure. say, don't have whatever communion is, like the element is uh, distract you like don't hand somebody a piece of bread and tell them that it's a regular piece of white bread and then it turns out to actually like be stuffed with jam or something sure because it, sure. it shouldn't be unexpected like a jelly donut that you don't know is a jelly donut all of a sudden the jelly it's like squirting <laughs> shoots out I, I had a friend attend a church service once and he received the the shot glass of wine and he looked at it and he said to himself this is not red. This is amber. And then he drank it, and it was definitely bourbon. Yes. <laughs> now, see, where is this like, church, ooh, and how do I find it? That, <laughs> right? It's in Chicago, <laughs> and that was an accident, is my understanding. Oh, But sure. uh, some, somebody misunderstood their instruction. <laughs> but, or possibly it was on that sale. That makes sense. I'll totally not really sure, take you but, out of the moment if you're... Yeah, exactly. Led yeah. to believe it's going to be one thing, and then... It's... Then you get a whiskey burn <laughs> in the back of your throat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think like what you were saying, Liz, one of my favorite memories of communion is when I was on internship, we did first communion on Monday, Thursday, and there was one kid who generally they did first communion in about like kindergarten, first grade. But this kid was like four and was so excited about it and really wanted it like the kid for Ash Wednesday, they were late getting to the worship service. And so he missed out on the crosses. And so afterwards, like, came over and was like, I just want a cross on my forehead. Right? So, like, we got to do that yeah. afterwards. So this is a kid who, like, loved and, like, longed for communion. And the congregation, the pastor had the practice of, like, when there were families with kids who weren't yet receiving communion, giving, like, 
extra big pieces of bread mm. for communion and letting the parents like tear some off for their kids if they want, um, which has a different theological meaning that I think is beautiful and also problematic. Right. But this kid, when he went up for first communion, danced up the aisle for it. And it's <laughs> yes. like Monday, Thursday, and everybody's like trying to be all solemn. And he's like, I'm so he did not yell, but like, yeah, you could feel the energy. <laughs> had a very different energy excitement. than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yes. and I love that part. I love that for the reasons that you were talking about, Liz. That I think it is like it is part of connecting us to each other and to God. And I love that about the doing it now during the pandemic because then it also pulls communion. Not only do, do we get pulled into communion, but communion now is being pulled into our dinner tables, our coffee tables, our kitchen tables. And all of a sudden, the pancake that we had for communion, well, we have other pancakes that we're having for breakfast mm-hmm. that day or the mm-hmm. next day. And and all sure. of a sudden, there's a new awareness of the possibility of God's presence in those conversations, mm. which is beautiful. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So when Emily started telling me about your work, uh, John and Liz, uh, it instantly reminded me of this story I read from Tumblr a while back, which we will link to in the episode description, and I will mention has elements that are probably teenage appropriate, but is definitely, you know, mostly an all-ages story. And it's about a passion play that happened in 1969 in California that involved a life-size crucified Jesus made out of bread that had red jam stuffed in the middle as their their crucified Jesus. And then there was a guy playing Linginius who stabbed it in the side with a spear, and of course the red jam came out, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was part of the passion play. And uh, the unfortunate side effect was that everything was a little too fresh out of the oven and so the the jam was actually still hot and that was not really yeah yeah, it it kind of freaked everybody out and then afterwards they had everyone come forward like the the priest blessed the crucified jesus as the communion and then everyone came forward and ate Uh as the communion and that kind of turned into not you know actually a full-on riot but it was (laughs) definitely a lot more emotional than those catholics were used to getting yeah, so it's it's quite a story. But like, I'm wondering if this sounds like something that either of you would be interested in trying, because really, you sound like the perfect couple to pull this kind of thing off. <laughs> <laughs> there is certainly a long culinary tradition of doing things like this, uh, especially uh, really? yeah. Oh, especially in the French tradition. I won't go off on my history lesson, but it basically kings and queens wanted to show off their power through soft means and food was a really big one. And French pastry chefs got famous because of throwing little surprises like this in. Now, as, <laughs> as, far, as, as far as Jelly Jesus, I'm down for it. I'm not your guy. I can't bake. I've been told that by 40, 50, 60 <laughs> professional cooks that uh, I should stay away from the bake shop. And that's cool. But if I if I could do it savory, if I could do like a Jesus turducken, I'm down. What about a cheesy (laughs) Jesus? Jesus. Cheesy Jesus, absolutely. Why can Jesus not be cheesy? I'm here for this. Yes. Do we know if Jesus was lactose intolerant? (laughs) He was Jewish. Chances are are good. 
Like, I don't, I'm lactose intolerant, so I just object to a Jesus that will, you know, make me uncomfortable later. No, uh, but, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, but like a chicken Jesus. I think a chicken Jesus yeah, is man. totally an option. I'm a vegetarian, so Probably. I'm going to object to oh, the chicken Jesus. Yes, no, that's fair. <laughs> but also, like, ham would Jesus. definitely be inappropriate. Ham is not an option. <laughs> but <laughs> I would just like to point out that this is... This is, this brings whole new meaning to all of the like jokes and times when people say that Jesus is a hunk. Yeah, <laughs> like there, there's art that like portrays Jesus as like really buff, but this is like Jesus is a hunk. Yes, of bread, of bread. Of bread. Which yes. shout out to Katie Schwind Williams, one of our <laughs> listeners, for that one. Excellent. But. So this story, I have to admit, especially as you were summarizing it, <laughs> first the imagery for me is like. Monty Python-ish, like the spurting, oh, yeah. spurting, spurting. <laughs> that that was definitely not actually part of the plan. Yeah, yes, well, yes, you know, yes. that's where my brain went. And goodness, I'm sure that's not what they intended, but it sounds like something dramatic definitely happened. I mean, <laughs> we've already established, I think, that anything that's pastry-like is great for me for communion. So... <laughs> I'm sure. down for, you know, a baguette with Jesus. Uh, Spaghetti bag- squash Jesus. Yes. Vegetarian friendly. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Do I want to try to reenact this passion play? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. I, I would, I would, however, just like, I, I, I want everybody who gets the link to go to this Tumblr. It's amazing. It's a great read. And it's from from what I'm picking up, it's that their communion bread was moldy and it was a church secretary who hopped in and created Jelly Jesus. And <laughs> they it, eventually got to Jelly Jesus. There was a sidetrack uh, partway through where she did Mexican wedding cookies yes, for communion yes, instead. Yes, yes. Uh, but then the week that the visiting bishop happened to be there, mm. she had put rainbow sprinkles on the cookies and he was not down for that. Oh, so. oh no. <laughs> And then as a rebellion from getting chatted with uh, from the bishop and told not to do that again, uh, that was where the whole passion play thing came from. This I'm here for. This is my kind of activism. And shout out to, like, church secretaries who... Church secretaries everywhere, yes. yes. (laughs) Absolutely. The unsung heroes. Well, and they are not the... This is not the only time that something fun, creative, or absolutely delicious has happened with Jesus, right? Liz and John, you all used to live here, and you kind of mentioned that, John, that we worshipped in the same congregation, and Downtown Disciples, where we worshipped, has traditionally pre-pandemic had, like, a variety of different loaves of bread, sometimes challah bread, sometimes rye bread, all sorts of different bread, and frequently we would take it home, but a lot of times, Liz, you would take it home, and Tell us what you would do with it, because I love this. (laughs) Yeah, so I always, if there were people who wanted it, I would, you know, defer to other people to take it home with them, the leftover communion bread. But if nobody claimed it, then I always knew that John could use it for his famous... Yes, bread pudding is a family. (laughs) It's a family thing. And so here's the story. We called it Jesus Bread. And the, the, the bread was always like, like Emily or Debbie, whoever was celebrating, obviously got 
really into the the like tearing apart of the loaf <laughs> because I would get these hunks that were just this is the weird. Jesus is a hunk right yes, right exactly. I would get these hunks and the Jesus f- is actually several hunks it sounds like yes Jesus was several hunks and and the first time I made it I'm looking at these hunks of bread thinking I have two options breadcrumbs or bread pudding and it's challah so how how am I not going to make a challah bread pudding right but yeah, the the that that's Jesus bread. That was our shorthand. Liz always came home with Jesus bread, and, and let me tell you, it that Jesus bread pudding does make me shout hollow. There you go. <laughs> well, Emily, yes. Emily, yes. all I need is about three or four hours warning. You're welcome in my house anytime. I know you're a big fan of the bread pudding, and uh, I, I I always like playing to an appreciative audience. So. In our gospel reading for today, Jesus basically says to the crowd, eat me. And he's talking about flesh and blood. I'm curious how the Joyful Body Project in particular connects with Jesus' emphasis on the incarnation or the real human body of God. Yeah, so I mean, first of all... There's sort of an ick factor there, right? Like, I just right? want to... <laughs> Cannibalism. <laughs> we. I just want to put that out there. Yeah, the cannibalism implication is pretty gross. But <laughs> the notion of incarnation and how that's connected to eating Jesus and how that's become part of... Communion. I mean, we've already talked a lot about the communion. So basically, I'll talk about some of my thoughts on incarnation, which are many. But I truly believe that as Christians, we don't talk about incarnation nearly enough. And also, mm-hmm. we pretty much ignore like what it means for us and our bodies uh, when we do talk about it, which I find really ironic because we make such a big deal about Christmas as a holiday but we rarely reflect on the actual like theological implications of incarnation, which mm-hmm. is what that holiday is celebrating. Mm-hmm. We talk about yeah. resurrection so much. Like, <laughs> I think we may have actually talked it to death. <laughs> <laughs> and that takes work. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the key question for me around incarnation <laughs> isn't about whether Jesus was a human body for God um, or a way to allow God to walk among us like a human. Although I think that's really interesting to think about. Um, And I recently binge-watched the whole show of Lucifer, and I don't know if either of you have seen that show. but I have not seen it. I've seen like one and a half seasons. Okay. And my husband loves it, but... It took me a while. I watched a few episodes and I was like, is there more? Because I'm not quite, you know, catching on to why it's so popular among so many of my friends. And then I gave it another chance and I did get into it. But I'll just, for anybody, including you who has not watched the show, um, the final season, it is over. So if you decide to watch, you'll be able to watch all of it together. Uh, The -hmm. final season has God as a physical character in the show and he is played by Dennis Haysbert who is a black man who you may know from uh, as the president on the first two seasons of 24 or 
as the guy that does the insurance commercials. You're in good hands with Allstate. You're in good hands with Allstate. Oh! 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 Yeah, I did not watch yeah. like shows about torturing human beings, but right. So I thought that yeah, having I'll him see. play God was a really interesting choice. Sure, and you know he has a great. If Morgan Freeman can, absolutely. right? He has a great presence. So yes, exactly. Uh, there is now. This might be a slight spoiler, but not really. Uh, mm-hmm. That there is an episode in that final season where he decides to set aside his god powers just to experience what it's like to be human for a day so i thought that was really uh an interesting implication (laughs) that god could just at you know at any time just choose to be human in the world Mm -hmm. um particularly in the in the universe of lucifer there is no Jesus character. So um, that was a little odd, but I can see how they maybe wanted to steer clear of that as a Pandora's box. Um, yeah, that could have gotten awkward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, that was interesting. And it, it was interesting how they played it. And of course, you know, there's a lot of levity in this show. So they didn't overthink it or try to overplay it from a theological perspective. But um Anyway, this notion that God becomes incarnate in order to become closer to us and to God's creation, I think, says more about who we think God is and how God relates to us. And so I think of it less as an incarnation issue and more as like a literal theological issue, like how we actually think of and speak of God. So to me, the key question about incarnation is... Are bodies of theological importance? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of theology, Christology done around whether Jesus is a special form of incarnation. And I think you can make arguments both ways. And so I just say possibly <laughs> is my. <laughs> and I think you can have like a good liberative theology, like, you know making either choice so Mm -hmm. but i think there are also you know i'm not going to go into those arguments but i think the conversation about incarnation also involves like is jesus the only incarnation and i Mm -hmm. think that even if we're just looking at scripture it seems clear that he was not based on the creation stories and Lots of Christian theology, I think, whether we explicitly state it very clearly or not on a regular basis, it seems like uh, we and the rest of creation are also part of an incarnation of God. Um, Like, we are made of star stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I think, you know, we are also made of God stuff. Yeah. And uh, there's... A C.S. I think it's a C.S. Lewis quote that I see a lot these days, and um, it's often posted even like from progressive Christians, which I guess really proves my point that we need to have more conversations about incarnation and what it means to talk about incarnation in certain ways. So the quote is, we are not bodies with souls. We are souls with bodies. But I have to disagree. And it's not the only thing I disagree with Lewis on. Although I highly <laughs> respect his work. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. 
But I think, I do really think that we are bodies with a soul or spirit. Um, if you take science seriously and study any of the fields and how they intersect across like paleontology, archaeology, historical anthropology, and evolutionary biology. The science shows that our brains developed over time into what they currently are, that we mm -hmm. started off much closer to different kinds of mammals and our brain developed into something that allowed us to have self-awareness and self-reflection which are often cited as the qualities that distinguish us from other animals. Although we're still doing a lot of studying on other animals and we're learning a lot more all the time. So <laughs> yeah. elephants are awesome. That's right. Yeah. There's just so many, a, a lot more intelligent species out there that we're learning a lot more about. And maybe we aren't as special as we um, have thought we are, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so basically, we don't have like a solid scientific explanation for what a soul is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the more that we study humans and brains and other intelligent species, it's like more and more information that we might think of. I do find it really interesting that there are scientists who say like hey the only way we have right now to explain some of the things is that there is like some sort of outside of us thing that happens <laughs> to our brains or with our brains or interacting with our brains that we might refer to as spirit or soul which i think is fascinating because we don't have any way to explain it but the what we do have scientifically, especially from trauma work, like Bessel van der Kolk is the author of The Body Keeps the Score. Mm, I've heard yes. good things about that book. Yeah. Me too. It's a great book and there have been other similar kinds of things out, um, books to, to supplement that work. But basically what it shows is that what our bodies experience, we experience, and it shapes mm. who we are and who we become. So, like, there's no way to, you know, if our body is abused, then we are abused. Um, mm -hmm. You can't separate what happens to our bodies from what happens to us and who we are. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah, there's like maybe a core sense of self that we have throughout our lives but mm -hmm. it's not just I mean just just like we're not like bobblehead brains that our body carries around <laughs> the world <laughs> <laughs> that we're would be also creepy. not just like some sort of supernatural spiritual being that our body you know shepherds around for experiences it is possessed by <laughs> yeah so yeah this notion that we're somehow two separate entities this like duality in theology is really frustrating and it really it's throughout our whole christian tradition and it creates a lot of harm mm -hmm. and that's part of what we need to kind of deconstruct yeah so it also like contributes to us being able to justify or overlook harm that we do to bodies every day whether it's our own or other people's mm-hmm 
And it's how our capitalist system can keep literally like working on the backs of vulnerable people. Yeah. If, if your body's not important, then we don't have to treat it well. Exactly. We don't have to care for it. We don't have to provide safety for it. Right. So any, you know, and this is sometimes how theology uh, can be problematic where we say, oh, whatever happens to your body is something that happens out there. But then you come to church and we save your soul. And as long as your soul is saved, then everything is good. And that's an example of that kind of duality that is really problematic because it's it really minimizes the harm that is done to and through our bodily experiences. So, and another example of that, like we can do a lot of harm through diet culture mm-hmm. where we think that that's okay in the name of all kinds of things. And we won't go into all of that now, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, just, you know, if we look at the gospels, like there is no doubt that Jesus was concerned about the well-being of bodies, right? Like he healed them and mm-hmm. fed them yeah. and raised them from death or near death. He touched bodies he wasn't supposed to touch and he did all these things like as a body, right? Like he didn't just appear to people as some mystical face like the wizard in The Wizard of Oz, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That would be really freaky. Especially especially after the resurrection, right? We get the encounters where he's like, okay, look, I'm eating fish. Look, you can touch my hand. Right, yes. Just to like be real clear with people about like human Repeat beings. after me. I am not a zombie. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So we have been asking our guests for recipes when they're on our podcast so that we can share them with our Patreon supporters, which also gives us a chance to shout out, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash nerds at church. Yeah. So feel free to do that. And then you'll have access to all of the awesome recipes that we are collecting from folks, including some special recipes that both Kay and I are contributing. Ooh. But do yeah. either of you have recipes to share? I often, if making a bread pudding, will just put the bread and the goodies in a you know, little corning dish and pour the custard over it. Uh, it very it very easily can be a mix and dump type deal. Nice. I had no idea bread pudding was like this. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. I thought it was like this complicated. We keep fancy, it that fancy. secret for a reason. <laughs> well, and speaking of keeping things secret, do you have a typed up official version of this recipe that we can put in the Patreon and not share over? The, I can make you know, that happen. So that I can. The, what is, the Patreon? Yeah, get the no, extra I'm, I'm definitely down yes. for that for Patreon. The recipes that I do have that I go back to are always Thanksgiving meal recipes uh, and dishes. So it's a lot of casserole type things. So my favorite is a corn casserole. It's tasty. She 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 hooked me on a thing I didn't know exist. And now I can't get (laughs) enough of it. That's awesome. Cool. Well, check out our Patreon. Become a patron at any level and you can have access to these recipes all typed up and beautiful just for you. Our first reading for this episode is from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Wisdom, personified as woman wisdom, offers her insight and understanding to those who lack it in order to better understand God and a life of faith. 
So one of the themes with this passage is the idea from Field of Dreams that if you build it, they will come. Woman Wisdom sets <laughs> out the table, builds the house, sets the table, and invites everyone in. So doing the thing, even when you don't know all of the why or you aren't certain of the who that is going to show up, but if you build it, they will come. And hopefully we do show up for Wisdom's table. That's, yes. that's faith, right? I would hope so. Yeah. I also love that reference because I once did a sermon in Iowa where I said, is this heaven? And then had them respond, yeah. no, it's Iowa. There you go. And they really enjoyed that. I don't remember there why is nothing or like what the scripture reference more was. Than but... referencing Iowa correctly. You got to be <laughs> yes. right about it. The West Wing apparently did not do such a good job in Iowa. And certain Ooh. a certain spouse of mine was not pleased. It wasn't so much the West Wing. No, it was The Good Wife. Oh, it was The Good Wife. The I good apologize. Wife. Oh, okay. Was I was show. like, the West Wing is pretty well No, The Good Wife okay. botched yeah, it, it pretty, okay. pretty badly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yikes. <laughs> yes. I was so mad at that show after that episode. I almost couldn't watch like after that but i wow yeah yeah i had to hold my des moines jokes for like 10 15 days after <laughs> she saw that that was before you lived in des moines i still had des moines jokes before i lived in des moines i know insane. <laughs> i know it's yeah that's true harder to make the easy des moines jokes after you've actually lived there that's true but that's true the more challenging des moines jokes after you've lived there aren't really that funny <laughs> Once you've lived no. there. <laughs> no. Yeah. I was like thinking about that. I was like, I don't have any jokes about Iowa no. right now. It's all too no. sad. It's just No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I don't blame you. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so when we reach verse three in this passage, we read she has sent out her serving girls. She calls from the highest places in the town. And this makes wisdom sound like the cool urban fantasy heroine, which I am absolutely up for, I have to say. Um, I was reminded reading this verse uh, how in the TV show Dark Angel or really anything else that was made in the 90s with sort of a dark nighttime speculative fiction twist, uh, there would, uh, if there was a female lead, there would be a scene at the end of almost every episode where she was looking down on the city from a high perch at night oh, like yes. that was just a constant set piece right. um gargoyles did that with the reporter character too of course she had an extra uh, excuse for having a perch high up <laughs> what with the gargoyles and all but there were a bunch of shows like that and so i think wisdom needs to have a, a nice leather jacket and some butt kicking boots uh, for this verse and it can be a fake leather jacket if you want Wisdom <laughs> sounds like an incredible lesbian to me I, wisdom needs a tv show i i, and, I like, hear you yeah. emily and and i'm down for that but i'm 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 a little jealous if if wisdom is a lesbian um <laughs> as as this as as as, as a straight think cis you're guy supposed to be as as a straight cis guy like like i don't have a shot with wisdom that that bums me out man that really does have i know some straight cis guys i that might be true yeah. like, oh no it makes sense it definitely it explains tracks, a lot but it makes me sad <laughs> like i'm married to one but still uh, yeah i understand we yeah we do what we can <laughs> we do what we can i feel like yeah like wisdom oh i'm trying to think so i'm down with this like leather jacket and boots and sort of a biker style wisdom but I'm also trying to think, I know there's, 
it's just not coming to my brain. Like wisdom also as this sort of really unique sort of funky witchy host, like a hostess host of... Like in Practical Magic. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Almost. (laughs) By the time this episode comes out, I should have actually watched the whole movie. Right? There we go. There we go. Or what was, oh, what's that movie? Well, there's so many movies about feasts, but is it Babette's Feast? Babette's Feast. Babette's Feast. <laughs> it is a classic. I don't know that one. Oh, or I also think of Chocolat. Chocolat yes. is great. Babette's Feast is French New Wave cinema. I'm blanking on the director right now. It might be Godard, but it uh, it's, it's a great example of what the French were doing at the time. Um, in cinema and it was uh, you know French New Wave was a well I'll I'll use a religious example it's Old Testament New Testament the French New Wave was was all about this is what film used to be and this is what we're going to make it so Mm. on top of the food it's a pretty cool film history uh. in verse 5 wisdom says come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed and it reminded me of the witch in Hansel and Gretel, um, mm. who, like, the whole house is just, like, tasty and delightful and come in, come in, and then I'm going to trap you and put you in a cage and then eat you. But, you know, sometimes wi- woman wisdom probably isn't going to do that. <laughs> probably not, but I do think that sometimes woman wisdom tricks us into the wisdom, like, <laughs> entices oh us in and then is like, Ooh, wisdom for you. <laughs> yes, again. If God has a sense of humor, what is wisdom's sense of humor? Yeah. Exactly. Wisdom's sense of humor oh, is wicked. Yeah. I guarantee it. I guarantee yeah. it. Um and and also just my last my last observance as as the cis straight guy, uh yeah, Emily Womanly Wisdom will will just drop something on you uh and make you figure it out. It's it's one of her favorite things. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, John, before you go, any other thoughts on life, the universe, and everything? I have plenty of thoughts about life, the universe, and everything. I'll sum it up with this. I love that wisdom is a woman in this proverb. Um, as, As a man who worked in food and worked in food from a giving place from the heart, had to do a lot of work on the feminization of food and the concept of the hearth and and the home that was is western culture so i don't know i just it it resonated with me this this little piece like of course wisdom is a woman obviously wisdom is a woman (laughs) why why would it not be and also why can't i who identifies male like get down with that why can't i not have a little piece of that be part of me and that's a whole three episode arc uh (laughs) talking about you know masculinity in in this culture but that might be a podcast yeah (laughs) oh yeah that's what that's what i meant a three episode arc for y'all yeah have fun with it (laughs) um i'll come back I'll, i'll come back um <laughs> this is so much fun I, I yeah but anyway that that was sort of my reflection off of that life the universe and everything life is best lived embraced and not in fear uh the universe is all of us we are stardust we are gold and everything is everything 
My thoughts on everything is that crazy as it is, everything is going to be okay for those of us who are in community and caring for community uh, and surviving together as a community. Uh, and I think, I think if we can all hold on to that going forward, looking at what we're looking at with, with this variant and, and all of that. So um, that's, 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 that's me. That's me in a nutshell. Um, I want to thank you both for having me on. Uh, thank yeah, you for thanks, inviting thank me. Thank you for joining us. I want to thank Liz for allowing me to share a mic and some headphones with her. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a great journey. Our second reading for this episode is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. The author instructs us to avoid drunkenness and debauchery, but instead to sing thanksgiving to God. So one of the... One of the themes in this passage is kind of thinking about the different axes from D&D. &D. It just reminded me of that, of like, what is your Dungeons and Dragons alignment? Are you, where do you fit in the good, neutral, evil, and also in the like lawful, neutral, chaotic? That that actually can also change depending on your context. I had a friend who was doing a D&D &D campaign and the whole group started out good, but the world was so evil that unbeknownst to them their alignment had accidentally shifted towards evil so that by the time they got to this one place where they had to have a neutral or good character do this thing there was only one left and it was a rogue <laughs> it was my friend actually <laughs> and it was a rogue and so like they had already like seen somebody get zapped and then somebody else and so they were like so do you do this thing and he was like hell no, I'm out of here <laughs> because he was a rogue. So he's like not into it. So it was just really nice. funny, but it is like the progression and the ways that we are transformed by our surroundings, even as we try to transform. When we reach verse 16, we read, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Okay, so I have to admit, and I don't remember really when I first read this passage whether I was sleep-deprived at the time, but I've got to tell you, it took a good three times of reading this before realizing that it's not that the author is a night owl who hates daylight. It's just that the days as in, are about the time, you know, the era is evil. It's not about daytime itself being evil or sunshine being evil. And it's not like they're Faye in the October Day universe by Seanan McGuire, where Dawn actually hurts to be outside for them because they're so steeped in magic and so they try to sleep through it inside whenever possible and by the way uh, if you have been a fan of that series uh, it's up for a best series hugo award this year so if you can vote please do i have to admit that i also had to read it a couple of times to figure out like what are they trying to say here because i'm like surely they're not trying to say you know that the daylight is bad right like <laughs> i mean i've had days like I that mean, i understand sure like I, you real. know sometimes when i when i have migraines i'm just like oh you just evil day star go away but <laughs> <laughs> speaking of lucifer right it was interesting to hear what you settled on as an interpretation because what i settled on as an interpretation was that the days are evil like as far as like time is moving quickly and if you sort of lose your day then it uh it's like you're it's evil because your days can just sort of fly away from you if that makes any sense sure. i feel like i was more eloquent in my head when i first was 
losing time. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, there is a way that like time just like slips by. I think especially in the pandemic, that's been the. Right. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden we're recording this on a Friday and like what, what happened to the week? What were the Right. Yeah. That is real. I was looking at verses 18 and 19 where the author says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to God in your hearts. And I would just like to point out that hobbits both drink and sing in the spirit. So this would be what I like to call a false binary. Yes. (laughs) Although I will say it doesn't say not to drink at all. It says don't get drunk. So... If we, we could details, details. we could parse it a little, <laughs> yeah, that is, and say that, is that drinking is fine, but like to be drunk could lead to debauchery in its maybe worse sense. Although I think there's still some good debauchery to be had. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I was gonna say it's like Kay says she only drinks when she's at work. <laughs> <laughs> communion, communion. Reminder. Usually I only get to make that joke when I go see a healthcare specialist, but oh well. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I've gotten a lot of really great looks for it, yeah. <laughs> There's also, I must say, uh, plenty of debauchery that one can get into without drinking, so. True. <laughs> I That's know true. plenty of sober people that. who uh, still manage to, you know, get into a little fun trouble here and there. For sure. For sure. And our gospel reading for this episode is John chapter 6, verses 51 through 58. While the crowd doesn't realize it yet, Jesus speaks to them of Holy Communion and how it will be through eating his flesh in communion that they will all come to God. So one of the themes that comes up with this passage is the idea of uncomfortable theology or tough conversations. Um, This actually is a point of departure for a lot of Jesus followers where they're like, nope, I can't do this. I'm out. But it reminded me of the giver or like Pleasantville where the, there is something about the town, the community, right? That everything is in black and white. And for the, for Pleasantville, it's until the tough conversations start happening until the uncomfortable conversations start happening about every, like all sorts of different things. Um, right and like they're questioning the status quo Mm -hmm. and starting to think for themselves and yeah yeah and then in the giver it's this like when they start to experience the really great things and the really awful things and that's what brings color into the community um and so thinking about this as like this point where jesus says something that's really uncomfortable for folks and a lot of them just peace out and others stay to wrestle with it and to figure out what it is yeah, yeah, I love both that movie and that book. They're they're really good. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with The Giver yet, but uh, oh. Pleasantville I watched pretty recently, it's actually. Really cool. So what you're saying there makes a lot of sense. Like I'm really uh, attaching to the new insights. I mean, it's funny how you can see a movie multiple times, but if you, especially if you wait a little bit of time mm-hmm. in between watching, it will click something new will click uh the next time around yep yeah i love that about movies and books yeah and you know sometimes you see the bible's especially good at it right like sometimes the first time you see a movie you're just there to like 
have a movie experience, right? Like you're not. <laughs> it's pretty and it's in right, front of exactly. you and that's about yeah. it. It's yeah. just entertainment and it's just, you know, it's just washing over you and you're not overanalyzing it. But then you can go back to the same piece of art and um, experience it different ways later. Pleasantville yeah. definitely lends itself well to that. Loki, I had the Loki, the TV show that just came out. I had to rewatch the first couple episodes because I was like, it was just so confusing, and I was trying to get a handle on like who had which powers and how they were working. And yeah, so I had to rewatch it, and then I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. But... <laughs> I find that the Marvel universe in general is kind of that way for me. I lose track <laughs> of all the pieces yeah. that are the threads, and yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and now that so much of it is available by streaming, it's in their best interest to have you watch it more than once. So, (laughs) yeah. When we reach verse 53, we read, So Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Yeah, Jesus, this sounds like vampirism mixed with cannibalism. (laughs) Yeah. Like, this is where a lot of those people nope out, and I, I get it. Like, I... You, Jesus is not actually making this all that easy. Like, he offered some lead-up, but he's not sugarcoating it. Uh, and everybody's going to freak out on you next week. Uh, so <laughs> it also reminded me of a video game uh, that came out a couple years ago called Vampire, which I actually have not played myself, but I watched a Let's Play on YouTube because I do a lot of that. And it's cheaper uh, in the long run. And it was about a good man who's a doctor in the 1800s, and he gets turned into a vampire. And there is a plague that is going through London, which he is trying to stop. And that is actually the reason why he doesn't allow himself to die after he gets turned into a vampire, because he can still help people. Uh, and he just wants to stop the plague. I was thinking about that and and how there was a shortage of doctors and how he, he could actually help and all that. And it led me to this thought of, okay, so we've discussed the thought of Jesus being a vampire before, I think. Shout uh, out to our Ninja Church crossover episode. Yeah. Yes. Plot twist. What if it's not Jesus who's the vampire? What if it's the disciples who are vampires? Because they're the ones who have to eat Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And drink his blood. And what if they went with it because they are literally following Jesus? And can you give up the call to Jesus' ministry just because of a little thing like becoming undead? (laughs) (laughs) That's um, fantastic. And completely independently, Kay, both of us. Because I was looking at verse 54 where Jesus says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have everlasting life and I will raise them up on the last day. And that's what made me think of Jesus' followers as vampires. And so I find it fascinating that like we actually did different verses and the same topic this time. And the same thought, which yeah. Which is like very, very rare for us. <laughs> and I suppose that might be an extra reason to not have garlic-flavored communion <laughs> I mean, I guess it might. <laughs> it, it might cancel the out the the important <laughs> the Jesus card. There, there might be a lot of people who can't take it. You right. know, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's true. That's slightly true. allergic. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's fair. Well, you know, I didn't have any particular like nerdy or geeky reference points to this. I mean, the vampirism makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> as far as what would come to mind reading this. But, you know, every time I read 
these last couple of verses or anything similar to that. It always just makes me, I just know that's what people are going to latch on to her trying to say only through Jesus. And mm. Mm, so uncomfortable with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The way we, we don't get to tell to Jesus what is Jesus and what isn't Jesus. You mm-hmm. know, that's that's the part I keep going back to. Yeah, I always, I also always like my kind of response to that is also that space in particularly because it's in the Gospel of John where Jesus then also says, "I have sheep in other pastures," and that understanding yes. that like breaks that ex- like all of our attempts to be like exclusive and insulatory, and then Jesus is like. Oh no, there are other sheep too. Don't right? Worry. Yes. Thank you for ones. bringing that. Wait, think that. <laughs> exactly. Like you. Yes, exactly. You have to put it in context, like with the rest of the with the rest mm-hmm. of the literature and the book, in order to. And that's helpful. Thank you for bringing that in. Yeah. Yeah. Like one day we are going to meet the people of Alderaan Seven or something, and it's going to turn out that they're Christians because Jesus went there too, and suddenly that will make so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> so. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> So, Liz, any other thoughts on life, the universe, and everything? Earlier, I was talking about the science things, and I just want to put in a plug for theologians and pastors to read more science things. Sure. It's It's very – it will provide so much expansion on <laughs> the material, but, you know, it doesn't have to be – dry science things. Um, I just listened to, I know it's, it was an audible original and I know that's part of Amazon and I'm trying to disengage from Amazon as much as possible, but I still am doing audible. Sorry. Um, (laughs) it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. Not perfect. Yes. (laughs) There is no perfect ethical consumption of the late stage. That's practice. right. That's also true. <laughs> <laughs> the good place is a great so example. So I will put in a plug at least for um it it says it's an audible only situation. I there might be similar content somewhere else, but this particular thing I listened to was um the uh grown up guide to dinosaurs and it was so Ooh. fun. Um, the narrator is so great and fun to listen to. And the whole, the idea is that, you know, when we were little, a lot of us really loved dinosaurs and had a favorite dinosaur. And, you know, then Mm -hmm. we kind of lose interest as we grow up. Uh, Many of us do. And so he was trying to create something that would help grownups reconnect to our love of dinosaurs while also providing a lot of awesome science education. And he does interviews with people all over the world and they talk about fossils and they talk about dinosaurs and they talk about dinosaur like beings that existed at the same time as dinosaurs that weren't dinosaurs. And uh, it really helps lay out. So I'll tell you one fact that I got just from the introduction that blew my mind. (laughs) (laughs) The Stegosaurus. That was my favorite as a kid, except nice. when I found out it had a, the smallest brain, and I was like, "Meh, not interested." Well, it was a it was an early dinosaur, so the Stegosaurus sure. was already extinct for millions of years before the Tyrannosaurus Rex even existed. Whoa! Wow. And in fact, if that isn't enough, the Tyrannosaurus Rex is closer in time to us than to the stegosaurus 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. Mind blown. But, Did you also know that the Tyrannosaurus Rex, their jaws, could take a 500-pound bite? Wow. Oh, my gosh. Learned that from a birthday card the other day. Yeah. So, um, you know. Find fun ways yeah. to get more science in your life. Uh, yes. Take and your meds. Be kind to yourself and compassionate with yourself. And, uh, you know, hey, if you found anything that I had to say interesting, then feel free to wander over to thejoyfulbodyproject.com or the Facebook page for The Joyful Body Project. And I will do my best to put some more content in there for everybody yeah, and we'll link to, to enjoy. Those. And hey, if you go to the Facebook page, please don't leave without liking something. <laughs> 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 I get yeah. notifications that I have visitors all the time, and then people don't like things, and I'm like, but how? How am I supposed how to do, know? How do I know what you like? Yeah, Why exactly. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll link to those in the episode description too, and send a shout out your way on social media so that folks can connect that way. But yeah. Also, if you want, we actually have a couple episodes that are science related deep dives. So both Ooh. are Christmas. Was there Christmas one last year? Okay. Yes. Christmas one and Ascension. Christmas one and Ascension. We both have science deep dives. One Christmas one is kind of the history of the Big Bang Theory and Ascension is what happens to a body as it ascends from sea level into nice. outer space. So it is it is definitely fun and it's something that I've enjoyed on our podcast is having science folks on to teach us sciencey things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay. So, yeah. So thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll finish up our Jesus Loafs You series and discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the 13th Sunday after Pentecost with our special guest, Reverend Alex Raby. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at N-E-R-D-S-A-T-C-H-U-R-C-H, Nerds at Church, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to the recipes from this series or our full guest episodes and interviews, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. We hope Patreon can help us get our episodes transcribed for those who need or prefer that, though if you want to help us with transcripts, let us know via email or social media. As the ancient Christians said, Pox Phobiscum.